I think if you don't pause to celebrate yourself when you have taken that small step, it's hard then for you to even acknowledge sometimes what it is you've even done. Even though it may not be the end goal that you wanted, the fact that you took step one or that you took step two or that you took step three is such a huge milestone that you have to reflect on. It never gets easier. You just become better at talking to yourself through something. And that's what design thinking gives you become more comfortable with ambiguity. Hey guys. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of The Selfie Show. Where we are bringing the weekly dose of sweet and salty. I am Tori, the founder and now co-host of The Selfie Show. I am a nurse, blogger, and podcaster. And I'm Sam. I'm a flight nurse, college professor, podcaster, powerlifter, and co-host of The Selfie Show. And today we are talking off the clock with our new best friend. I love her. Love her. Dr. Q. Dr. Q. And we are getting happy hour drinks with her ASAP. Yeah, we're actually going to go. So we're so excited about this. We're like obsessed. Saba, we love you. Oh, she's you guys are in for a real treat today for so she, many reasons. We get into education, which is where her background is in. But it's so much more than that because all the things that she's talking about can be applied to so many aspects of your life. So that's why today's episode is, I don't know, it felt really like special to me. Yeah, this one was really good. And I think it's also bringing in a different aspect or a different field and applying it to ours, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. All right. So before we get into that today, what's your tip of the week, Miss Samantha? Okay. So... I got new pots and pans today, by the way. Oh, yes. yes. Oh, my God. They're so cute, too. Okay, they are lavender. So you have I'm the caraway pans. I'm obsessed with pans. your gold handle. Yes. The gold handle. Because all my stuff is gold. Yeah, really. So they had a... You have these pans, the caraway ones, mm-hmm. and they're nonstick. They're, like, gorgeous. You have the cream ones. Yeah, the cream. Or do you have the gray? Or yep, cream. 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 Yeah. And they're beautiful. And I've always kind of been like, ooh, I want yours. And then they had these limited edition ones that were lavender with gold handles. And I was, like, orgasmic they, And you them. ordered them, like, a while ago? I ordered ago? them back in the summer, and they finally got delivered. So I was like, all right, I got to cook now. <laughs> I, can't, <laughs> I can't spend all this money on pots and pans and not cook, right? Yeah. I have no groceries. Yes. If you walk into my house right now. And Wait, can I tell you what's fridge, in your fridge? Yes. It's like White Claw, mm-hmm. uh, cold brew, mm-hmm. and then maybe some form of like steak and potato thing. Not even there. right now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's like. Maybe some mayonnaise and. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> mayonnaise i have like condiments yes a condiment or two and then eggs that are probably like debatable if they're still good or not right i i honestly i can't even remember the last time i went grocery shopping we need to fix this we need to fix this so this is my life tip is don't be a trash can like me (laughs) fix your life i need to get better about just saying i'm going to carve out time to set myself up for the week so today after this, honestly, I'm going to stop at the grocery store on the way home. Oh. Because it's not a matter of like, I don't want to cook. Or, and it's not even that I don't have the time to cook. It's I don't have time to go to the grocery stores to get the groceries to cook. Right. So I feel like my life would just be better if instead of trying to the week, like my weeks are so busy and it's so chaotic and I can't ever get my shit done. And maybe it's like the ADHD. No, or, I totally I don't know. You. But if I just took on Sunday night would be ideal or even Monday because I don't usually typically work Mondays to just carve out a couple hours to say, okay, I'm going to do my laundry. I'm actually going to fold it and put away. I'm going to grocery shop. I'm going to pick up around the house. I'm going to do whatever. Just do these few little things that it's going to set my week up instead of just always living in this state of like frantic chaos that I live in. I feel you though, because it's interesting because I even think about, okay, let's say I was 
there was no Jacob in the picture. I genuinely feel like I'd be in the same position because like I don't do a lot of our grocery shopping. Jacob does. See, So I'm like, but I have to be better about it. Like even I was just thinking today, I'm like, I need to make time to go grocery shopping. I need to be better about that. Like, see, this whole strong, independent woman thing for me only is so good until I don't have fucking groceries. (laughs) (laughs) Feminism's great until you don't have groceries. And no clean laundry and all the things. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I think honestly... I just have to make a conscious decision to say I'm going to take two hours out of my week to get all my shit in order. And I feel like that's going to actually save me time in the long run and a lot of stress throughout my week if I just suck it up and like make it happen. So I need I need to go to the grocery store today. Okay. We're making it happen. It's happening. I love this for you. Okay. What do you and beginning of the week, like set it right. You know? Yes. Yeah, just yeah, yeah. like set set the vibes, love man. That. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. What's um, yours? My tip of the week is uh, do it while you are naive <laughs> and have no clue. Okay. So well, ignorance I, is bliss. Ignorance is, is huge bliss. So I think what I'm getting at is I was listening to a podcast this this week, and I think actually it kind of applies a little bit to maybe even what we're talking about today slightly but it's the idea of like just throwing yourself into things that make you uncomfortable before you know too much or before you lose that enthusiasm or that energy like I was just telling Sam earlier I'm like I I don't think I would have started this podcast if I had known or had the experience that I do now now looking back on it if they were someone was like oh like you should start a podcast and I was doing it now I'd be like I I don't think I would do it (laughs) I think if when you asked me to be co-host, it was also decided like, oh, you're going to be co-host and edit it. I'd be like, no, nah, I'm good. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's so much. Tap out, tap out. I would be like, no, that's like, I don't have time. For yeah, that. it's almost like. You, the fact yeah, that it got like, I when I started the podcast, we had someone else editing for us the first six weeks, mm-hmm. maybe. First yep. six episodes of me. And then I took it over. That transition, I was able to do. But if from the get-go, it was like, hey, you're going to co-host this and edit this, I'd be like, mm. It's kind of the same thing, too, of like, you know, for example, people saying, I want to become a nurse. Like, how hard is it? And I almost I almost just want to tell them, like, don't think about it. Just do it. Yeah. Like, don't overthink it. And I think also the big aspect of, like, do it while you have energy and while you're motivated to do something. Like, if you're someone that's like, I want to start a blog start it yeah if I if you're someone that's like I want to become a PA do it like start taking the classes like I just think I'm a really big believer in like do it while you're naive do it while you have also just assume everything's gonna be hard and just figure it the fuck out as you go yeah I like the idea (laughs) of like figuring it out as you go like honestly like so many things I can't even tell you like learning on the fly of, of the amount of things that have happened either between nursing or you know switching careers starting this podcast starting the blog like just learning on the fly like I almost think it's just so much easier to do it while you're naive and you don't know any better and you're just learning as you go yeah um so my tip of this week is just do it while you get energy do it while you're naive have fun with it go with it run with it just that's like almost when I started grad school oh uh, yeah I was like early on I think I'd been a nurse for three years I wish I had if I that. knew how much work grad school was gonna be yep. I wouldn't have ever gone absolutely like I'm <laughs> in that grind right now and yeah. I'm like I wish I had done it earlier I wish yeah. I had so badly I just did it while I was working nights and I don't know if I knew now though like how 
awful <laughs> grad school would have been. I probably would have never done it. But I was kind of just naive where I'm like, oh, it sounds fun. And I'm like still kind of got the energy and I just yeah, did yeah, it. Yeah. And once I was in it, I was like, this is miserable. But you can't. I was like, I can't stop now. I'm already like I've spent the money. I'm halfway through. Like I got to just grind and push through. But if I knew now, I probably wouldn't have done it. So yeah, I sure. love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. go. Just fucking go for it, you guys. <laughs> OK, let's do unpopular opinion of the week. You guys <laughs> I love this one so okay, much. This one's kind of funny. I this this is. Awesome. I with my whole heart can literally say this. Unpopular opinion. Parents that make social media for their kids are so cringe. Cringe, oh, cringe. Like cringe, you're cringe. the worst. Stop cringe. it. Like stop. Don't do it. Imagine growing up and hitting to be like 12 years old and finding out that you've had your own Instagram account <laughs> since you were a baby where your mom's okay, posting these is- pictures talking in baby talk for you and you're like what the fuck. Most people I don't think are it's not normal people doing this. This is like celebs doing this which is even more annoying. Some normal people do it. Some okay yeah. Yeah yeah yeah. Don't. But you know what I'm saying? <laughs> stop like it. it's just like stop doing that. Like it's just uh, to me I just I don't understand it's really cringy it's just the it's okay it's when they talk in like as the child like so this three-month-old is literally saying oh my gosh I love doing tummy time it's my favorite you didn't fucking say that because you're three (laughs) months old and you can't talk let alone type so stop it it's when they like speak as if you're literally speaking it's like no (laughs) you need to stop that seriously right now we're still in the point of just um eating shitting our pants and sleeping yeah so. that's it that's all you got like yeah make it stop okay wait can we also do another one that this one's like a havesy for me though people who make instagrams for their dogs okay i follow some dog <laughs> accounts not even gonna lie like walt the golden retriever is my oh. friend's dog i fucking love walt okay and walt will sometimes reply to my stories and i'm like oh hey walt <laughs> i have a less of a problem i think it's weird because one how do you have the time Actually, I know a lot of people from my gym that have Instagram accounts for their dogs. Uh-huh. I think it's like, I don't have one for Rambo and Moses. I don't have the fucking time. I can barely have time for mine. I mean, here's the thing. Okay, I am here for a but moment. But I'm okay with the dog one more than the kids. Yeah, and like, okay, first of all, if you're funny and you can have a relatable one with the dog, like, I think that's actually funny and that's great. Or like TikTok, TikTok mm-hmm, pets, mm-hmm. like hysterical. I think it's great. But there's something about like, and I'm here for the moment of like, okay, you got your private account, Instagram, that you're just like being a, you know, you're stalking on people, but then you're actually actively engaging and like making revenue possibly from your dog account. Like, great. Like, I'm here for that. I know someone from my gym whose cat has a million followers on Instagram. Yeah, great. And Love that's how she that makes her, her living. And now I'm actually kind of pissed because I'm like, Moses and Rambo contribute shit to my yeah, household. They got to earn their keep. Yeah. Man. I feel like they need to get on TikTok and start to bring in... The- Bring Low pay key, some bills. Moses would kill it on TikTok. Oh you my think god, he's got it. <laughs> he's, he's got, got TikTok first, energy. He's got such TikTok energy. Moses <laughs> so is like, nice. you guys, if you are not following her, Moses needs his own account. I think oh, Rambo's just kind of like the good kid. He's a happy like, boy. He's a happy boy. He's your first, whatever. But Moses is a little shit. Moses he's is just a little fucking asshole. Oh my god, I love it. Moses but. energy though. But I, I'm more okay with people having social media for their pets than their, their kids, kids is weird. yeah it's and again so like i said imagine hitting like becoming a teenager and realizing that your parents used to run some instagram account for you when you were a baby <laughs> like and speaking behalf of you you were like bitch i never said that uh, yeah but then okay wait let's talk about this one what if your parent makes you an instagram just to save your name handle 
How do we feel about that? I'm fine if they're not like posting and making some weird ass account. Okay. So like we're oh, we're okay with like saving the like eh, you know but just it's like, in case you want it. Does your Instagram not that I really think that's a handle great... like need to be your full name. I mean, by the time our kids are old enough, like though, Brinley Maverick. Like no, stop. <laughs> no, but but I guess by the time like our kids are old enough, like Instagram will probably be irre- irrelevant. That's true. So that would be like, oh yeah, I saved your MySpace name. <laughs> okay, cool. Thanks, mom. Way to way to forward think. Thank you. Do them a solid and save them their Gmail. They might thank you for that G- one. Gmail might be good for sure. Maybe even TikTok because I don't think TikTok's going anywhere, but Instagram might. I don't know. We'll anyway <laughs> all right well that's it we have spoken <laughs> all right you guys we're really excited about the guest of this week because um she is honestly such a gem she came into the studio we had so much fun with her yeah so we are speaking with dr saba q a little bit about her she is a doctor of education she coaches leaders working on transformation initiatives especially in education, to help them integrate design thinking practices that encourage creativity, build trust, and prepare individuals with the mindset and skills to thrive in our rapidly changing world. She's also the host of Sprint to Success with Design Thinking Podcast, where she interviews researchers and practitioners about their stories and strategies for navigating change with design thinking. And I want to actually tap in really quick. So I actually found um, Saba through another podcast that I listened to called Beyond Influential, hosted by Brittany Crystal. And I heard um, Dr. Q come on and she spoke about design thinking. And I just was obsessed with this episode. I was like, we have to get her here on the show. And honestly, it was probably one of our more favorite episodes in the sense of this one just offers so much value and a different way of thinking. And a lot of we talk a lot about mindset and um, optimizing your reinventing education and then also reframing failure. Like, I think that's a really big conversation that we talked about today. And I I love that part because I've never thought about it in that way. So it was very eye-opening to me. And Saba has been particularly passionate about reinventing education to help students. And just honestly, what we really liked what we talk about today is it really applies to so many different areas of your life. So without further ado, you guys, let's dive into this amazing episode. Well, first of all, thank you so much for coming and Saba. We're so excited to get you behind the mic today because I think it's so important to have collaboration from different aspects of, you know, different disciplines. And so I think today getting into your specialty is going to be so amazing. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Ooh. We're super excited. Um, so for so people who don't know you, we're really fascinated by journeys. Um, and so can you give a little bit about your background and your journey into education and where you grew up? Absolutely. Okay. So I was born in London and I moved to Orange County, California when I was 10. And I think just my own school experience really influenced the work that I do today. And that I remember when I was in London growing up, I was, school made me happy. I was engaged in so many diverse activities from swimming to music to dance that were all an integrated part of my school day. And I think here, it's all of those are usually taking place outside of school and extracurricular activities or, you know, your parents have to put you into things. And I remember coming here and everything just being so traditional 
traditional, always having to sit behind a desk. And it wasn't until I was 16 years old and I learned that you could take the high school exit exam that I did and I went to community college. And I loved it because I could make my own schedule. I could browse through these different classes. And I remember, I think I made up for all the lost years in um, two years at community college. But one of the best experiences I had at community college was I worked with an organization called EOPS and they serve low-income high school students and they show them that there are different pathways for them after high school and I remember how much I enjoyed working with high school students in that you that it's just that look on their face when you tell them something that they had no idea was possible for them and I fell in love with giving I just fell in love with that experience and so I think that really was the moment where I decided I think I really enjoy working with high school students and then I was like okay well what am I going to do with them and I had a passion for social sciences I had taken a lot of social science courses at community college and so those two came really nicely um the University of California Irvine they had a social science major you could major in that create a portfolio and then they also had a teacher credential program and so that was yeah that was that something that I thought was really interesting that you brought up about that program is that they don't do standardized testing or something about their standardized testing was different yeah so um when you become a teacher there are a series of um like standardized assessments that you have to do and the main one it was called a CSAT I just was not a fan of standardized testing not in high school not in college not in anything same and I actually have never like I have a doctorate and I have never had to take a standardized test And so I think it's, you know, it's interesting. You can go through the system. You can go through things. The one time I did was when I applied for my master's at UC Irvine. And I remember writing in my application, if my standardized test score is what you're going to judge me on because my scores were not very good, then this probably isn't the right place for me anyways because it's not something I believe in that really demonstrates your skills and your aptitudes. And so um, the portfolio in undergrad waived the CSAT requirement to be a social science teacher. I'm just like, it's funny because we were talking off camera and Sam knows this 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 is like the big aspect for me is I really struggled in school and standardized testing I think was probably one of the hardest things for me personally someone like Sam I think you really thrive in education you're a very good reader just things for you you're either a test taker or you're not right which is why it's kind of bullshit absolutely because I cannot study and I can just take a test and probably do pretty well just based on knowing how to decipher the question and the answers and it's like test taking strategies that have nothing to do with understanding the content yeah and from someone who teaches nursing school there are people that I know understand the content and they do really poor on the tests right and it's that was like me. not a reflection of their ability to be a nurse and it's not a reflection of how much they understand the actual material and I honestly as someone who is an educator I think it's kind of shitty that that is like our benchmark absolutely for measuring success yeah and I think that's why bringing you in here today and really talking about design theory and because you just have such a great way to look at this and I think this is hopefully the projection of where education can start going and we can start talking about this a little bit more for to start kind of opening our minds and getting more creative and getting more, I think, honestly, even applicable to what we're doing. I mean, we talk about this all the time, Sam and I, like nursing school, I really don't think prepared me to be a nurse, to be honest. No, it prepares you to pass 
The NCLEX. The NCLEX, which is the the boards. Yeah, which is unfortunate because there's so many opportunities for us to be learning, but it just wasn't set up for someone like me personally, which is really frustrating. Yeah, I mean, I felt the same way about school as well. I feel like there were so many things growing up that I realized I was really good at. Like I always tell the stories. I actually worked at USC for three years. And when you work at USC and you want to apply to a program there, you get a 50% discount. And this is like even me as an adult. I feel like these things don't ever go away once they're ingrained in you from a young age. But I just always felt like I was such a bad writer because I never got good grades in English. I was like my writing always had red marks all over the paper. And I remember not applying to the doctoral program while I was there because I was like wow if I don't get in and you have to write two essays to get in I was like if I don't get in it's gonna be so embarrassing like everybody's gonna know that I didn't get in and so it wasn't until I left USC that I got in Um, and then I applied because I was okay if I don't get in no one will know but I look back now and I'm like I like I just it's such a horrible feeling because it's like wow you could have saved 50% off of that tuition and you didn't because you were scared and you were scared because somebody told you at a young age that you aren't good at this and so it's you know it's just interesting to look back on that and reflect on it and just be like you know there are so many things we're good at but the way we measure and the stories that we're told sometimes about that when we're younger really impact us as adults so can you take us through your your journey into education and leading up to right now a little bit a little bit about your journey into even design theory and how you started all this. Yeah, absolutely. And it's such a beautiful time to do that because I was telling you guys earlier, like this is my 10th year. This is the 10th anniversary of the year that my principal gave me an iPad, which really is what changed a lot of how I thought about teaching and learning. So one of the best things about UC Irvine was they had a project-based approach to teaching and learning. So, you know, you only know what you're taught. And so that was had always been my mindset from the beginning. Um, the unfortunate part was I graduated in 2007, which was the year of the recession. So even though I had a great preparation, I had even a great first year job, the layoffs that came year after year for the next five years were really, really challenging to deal with. And that's when I really realized like, wow, like my school prepared me from a content perspective, but not so much from like a networking or a portfolio perspective in that I had made a portfolio for school, but it wasn't one that was online or that could be used to showcase to people, hey, this is what I can do, or even to know how to have that conversation with somebody, hey, this is what I bring to the table, instead of just answering like the standard interview questions. And so... I made the switch from public to private. And when I made the switch to private, even though I took a pay cut, it um, compensated for itself in that I was given access to so many opportunities. It was like, oh, hey, we have this project. Anybody could take it on. It wasn't just somebody who had been there for 10 years or the person who had been elected from something, the way it kind of works in public. And so it was the year I joined was the year they wanted to go one-to-one with a device for all students, but they just weren't sure which one. And so I got to lead the pilot and through that I began to realize like wow like there's so much we can do with technology like these devices that are in kids hands and that really got me down to project-based learning even more and then from there I think the real turning point for me was my sister was a graduate student at USC and they're a physician assistant program and they asked the students to bring iPads and I was like oh my god that's great at our high school we're struggling to like get parent buy-in and whatnot I can't wait to see how you're using them and then take these examples 
examples back to the high school I'm at to show this is what we're preparing kids for. Anyways, long story short, they wanted to go paperless. Like that was their goal with the device. So she's like, I don't know what you find so exciting about this. She's like, I just download my files on here and just use it to view them. So we began working on a series of projects that basically led to a conversation with the director of the program. He was Dr. Kevin Lohenry. He was like such a visionary. And he said, I had no idea this was happening in K-12. And if we want to stay ahead of the curve and we want to recruit these students, you know, down the line, we need to change the way we're doing things. And he had a real vision for what technology could do in the curriculum. So he created a new role, Director of Innovative Learning. But being in a medical school, so I was somebody who did not like the sciences, like my brain just didn't work that way. So I took like geology as a science in undergrad. And I was also from K-12 environment. I had never done anything with higher ed. So I was very much out of my comfort zone. And so having to integrate or do a technology integration the second time around was very different than doing it the first time around um, where I feel like we led more with the technology. When I was at USC, I didn't have a choice but to observe and watch. And what I realized there, and I think this was the real turning point for me, was that when we begin with people, so I had this thing that cultures of innovation begin with that culture of empathy because when you begin by leaning into what do people need, what are people struggling with, but also what are people excited for? It's a very different way of approaching change and innovation. And that was really, it was like, okay, well, like, how do we do this? And that's where the design thinking came in because design thinking is a framework that says, even though you think this is the solution, take a step back, talk to people, observe what's happening, see what gaps exist, and then examine your solution accordingly. Because nine out of 10 times, your solution is missing elements that are what are preventing people from actually being successful. Can you take us through design thinking as a whole? For someone who's super unfamiliar with us, like we're just like, what is de- what is design thinking anyways? Can you can you walk us through that? Yeah, absolutely. So design thinking is basically a framework for solving problems. But what's great about it is that not only does it give you the steps sort of or the a way to think about a particular challenge or an opportunity. A lot of times when we say problem solving, it's because we think that there's a problem at hand. But a lot of times problem solving is like there's an opportunity here. I'm excited to do something. How do I figure this out? Um, a lot of that I would say is 80% mind set and 20% skill. And so design thinking gives you both organically over time. So it has, in its most traditional form, it has five stages. So like I said, a lot of times when we see an opportunity or we see, we have an idea or we see a problem, we immediately come up with what we want to do. And design thinking says, okay, let's back up a moment and let's start with empathy. So empathy is sort of like your phase one. It's um, really understanding, okay, who am I trying to serve? Who are the people that I'm creating something for? And it also could be yourself. Um, and, and what do they really need? Like, let me learn about them. If I see a particular challenge over here, um, what is it that I need to learn about? What are the questions I need to ask? And sometimes it's really specific questions, but a lot of times it's just stories. Learning about like, okay, well, why are you interested in this? Or like, if you were in this scenario, what are some of the things you might do? Or I noticed you don't use this a lot. Tell me why. And it's 
through those conversations that you just begin listening to people and understanding more about what they need, about what they're excited about, what they're scared of. And that helps you have a better understanding about the narrative you can put together when you're proposing whatever your solution is. So once you engage in that empathy phase, the next one is to actually define the problem. A lot of times we say we come up with solutions in search of problems. Design thinking really makes you step back and say, okay, a lot of times problems are really big as well. So it really focuses you in and says, okay, what is the actual problem you're trying to solve for? And then from there, you go through a phase called ideation. So there's like so much happening before you're even getting to your solution. And it's Guy Kawasaki, I think, says it best. He says, um, he says, don't worry, be crappy. So the idea of ideation is to not think about what you think the perfect solution would be, like happens in school, right? Like how many times we just sit stuck with a pen to paper, um, trying to come up with the perfect idea versus just any idea, whether it's feasible, whether it's, you know, within your financial means, it doesn't matter. Like just put down whatever you think could be a potential idea. You go through those and then you look for feasibility and then you say, okay, let me test this. Let me come up with a prototype that I can test. Let me go back to those people, have them try it, get their feedback, and then the cycle continues. So what it really allows for is almost for you to take risk safely, to try something new in a safe way because you're starting with a very small defined problem. You're creating something that you can test and that you can iterate upon and then you're going back to that cycle with the people that you're creating it for instead of making this like huge investment or coming up with this like really big solution and then it not maybe going well and then being stuck. I love that because I honestly, as an educator, see where we can apply that to education. But I think working in healthcare, yeah, for sure. there's Absolutely. there's a lot of problems in healthcare. Yeah. <laughs> like a 100%. lot. To be able to just apply that sort of framework. And then I think, honestly, there's a lot of problems in my own personal life. <laughs> so just like, I feel like you can apply that you to like so many. Lives. Yes. Yeah. Like I love everything about that because the way it's broken down, I think, can be used in so many different areas. Absolutely. But I don't think a lot of people like know about it. No, I agree. I love the idea that you brought up that culture of innovation begins with the culture of empathy. And I think that's like the piece that we just miss. So Even in healthcare, often. like yes, we understand in healthcare that we're there for others, and we still miss yeah. that component when it comes to breaking down like what is the actual problem. Like we're just trying to throw out solutions instead of being like, is it serving who we're intending for it to serve? How do we start tapping into that? How do we start kind of implementing that into our lives a little bit more? I feel like it really starts by taking a step back and learning about the people around you. Like that's really what it was when I was working at USC. It was getting to know each of the professors and it was getting to know the students. Like, and I find like these two questions serve as such a great starting point. It's what are you most excited about? Like if you could do something, like what what do you wish you could do within, you know, X space? Like as a professor, what do you wish you could do? As a professor, what makes you nervous? Like when thinking about what you wish to do, what are some of the things that you are scared of that make you nervous that prevent you from taking this step? And I think when you have an understanding about those two pieces, we have a better understanding about how best to support each other. Because a lot of times when we're thinking about innovation or we're thinking about change, we're trying to make something better for somebody else. So in the instance of the professors that I was working with at USC, they wanted to create more dynamic learning experiences for their students. They wanted to connect them to 
to these different opportunities. It's just there were barriers like in their own minds about both what they knew was was possible and also what they thought was possible. And so when sometimes when we have those partnerships, like you mentioned earlier, that collaboration, you now are understanding you're really good at this. You're really good at this. I'm really good at this. How do we pull that together to achieve this purpose? Mm -hmm. And so I think it really starts by just understanding what are the strengths and aptitudes of the people around you. So let's say like Sam and I, you know, we want to implement this to our lives. We want we want to get more design theory into our, you know, everyday lives. And and also listeners here, how do we start doing this? Like what are some good little tips that you can offer to us to start really getting into this framework and trying to make better outcomes, all of the all of the things. Absolutely. So I would say find something small but impactful. So something that like just bothers you, something that you're thinking about, what it could be a personal project, it could be a professional project, it could be, I mean, even maybe something related to the podcast. Like this is something we would like to do. This is something whether it's a challenge or here's an opportunity we're trying to grow into. I would say first start there with something small, something manageable. Um, then I would say from there, dig into that empathy. Like start asking those questions and start saying, like, okay, but what's really like either holding us back um, or where do we feel like we are stuck or where do we feel like there's a problem Um, and then wherever you see sort of like okay this is where I see a problem you want to lean into like who can we ask questions to and sometimes it's even like your own personal reflection like sometimes it's like okay but like what is really holding me back from doing this like what is scaring me and what am I excited about and when you start to dig through those pieces you begin to recognize like okay there's a gap here maybe it's a matter of me doing some research in this area maybe it's me trying to ask somebody a question it could be something along those lines but it's really really digging into what is holding you back and a lot of times like I said it's not so much um something extra you need to add usually what it is is a mindset block so we talked about sort of like the phases of design thinking like the empathy defining the problem the ideation creating a prototype and then the iteration that happens but um ideo um, are one of the companies who like popularize design thinking have what they call the seven mindsets empathy is one of the mindsets creative confidence having an idea and just believing in yourself that it's possible like so many people have ideas but they just don't believe they have the potential so they don't even act on them um comfort with ambiguity being comfortable with like change which you two probably know so much about um (laughs) just given everything we've been through um iteration optimism believing that things are possible so when you also engage in design thinking like over time when you see the things that you're capable of or you see yourself walk through these stages and actually like sometimes you don't even realize beginning to end kind of how things come together because it's so well broken down um it builds those mindsets for you especially that creative confidence so like let's say there's someone very stubborn (laughs) like Similar to myself, asking for a friend. (laughs) No, but I feel like all I love all the things that you just said. And I think that has been like a very much embodiment of like my 2021 goals of trying to one, just like have that confidence and belief of like even with this podcast, Mm -hmm. go into it with the mindset that not like, oh, I don't know if I can do this or like is this going to work out or whatever of just being like, we're doing this and it's going to be successful and it is what it is and trying to like shift that mindset. And then in just all other aspects of the optimism and 
everything that you're talking about has been like a conscious effort on my part. But I have to say that is not something that comes easy to me at all. Yeah, like, I, I just where that is for me more naturally so for you not. Yes, yeah. you're way more sure. naturally yeah. that way than I am. And how would how does someone kind of shift their thinking into all those components that you just named? Yeah, so I think one of the things about design thinking is it has a bias towards action. So it is making you take a step like, okay, here's and and very small steps along the way. I think one of the most critical aspects along the way to be successful is or to keep that action going and reinforce it and grow it and build it is reflection. I think if you don't pause to celebrate yourself when you have taken that small step, it's hard then for you to even acknowledge sometimes what it is you've even done. Even though it may not be the end goal that you wanted, the fact that you took step one or that you took step two or that you took step three is such a huge milestone that you have to reflect on because one of the things like that happens is it never gets easier. You just become better at talking to yourself through something. And that's what design thinking gives you. Like you become more comfortable with ambiguity. Nobody's ever like, I love ambiguity. Like I love, <laughs> I am you know, such a black and white person. You know, nobody loves uncertainty. People like to know what's coming ahead. We like stability. Like all of these things challenge, I think, the way we are as just humans. But your aptitude for dealing with something, having that calm, knowing that I have tools that can support me through something. That's where I think the the muscle comes in. I think that's definitely true. Getting comfortable with celebrating those like little wins along the way. Yeah, I think tapping into that a little bit. I think another thing too, which puts a lot of people on edge is the idea of failure. And I like because you tap into this a lot of like reframing failure, right? And I think that's what causes a lot of us to really hesitate and to really almost like question or or even just like freeze and not make any decisions. I'm curious your thoughts on this because I just think the idea of reframing failure is so key. Like you talked about your experience at USC and um and not applying and you know, I think a lot of us are going to apply to jobs and not get them. A lot of us are going to apply to schools and not get in. A lot of us are going to are going to you're going to hit failure, but I think reframing the mindset is huge. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I would connect it back to that last question around the idea of reflection. Like anytime I'm in another scenario now where I'm scared to do something, I remind myself of that time I was scared, but then of what happened when I did try. And you're right, there's going to be times where we try and we're successful or we get something. And then there's going to be times where we try something and we don't get what we want to be the outcome. And a lot of times it's not like, I feel like, you know, it, it's hard when you're really young to be able to adapt this mindset. But once you've got about five, 10 years on you, you begin to realize like how many times there were where you wanted something yes. that it didn't happen, but something better worked out mm -hmm. for you. You know, it's the whole like Steve Jobs, like you can only connect the dots when you look back. And I think, you know, that's, that's hearing. And so if you really, so if you're really young and you're starting off and you're like, well, I'm just starting out right now. I don't have a lot of those experiences maybe to reflect back on. That's where I lean into listen to other people's stories, because I feel like every time I listen to somebody else's story, like there's so many people that I follow, like was this Dean Graziosi or like, you know, Tony Robbins or like Gary Vee for like the really big ones. But then I've got people like Brian Fanzo or Brittany Crystal or like yeah. these people who tell you these are the things that have happened to me. You realize it's such a theme for 
so many people throughout life. Um, so sometimes, you know, what you think is meant for you, like isn't new doors open and whatnot. But I think when it, again, when it comes to failure, no, again, nobody likes to fail and nobody likes to fail publicly. And I think that's a really big differentiation. I think the more you can understand, okay, this is what I want to try. Here are the things that could go wrong, right? Even just getting that out of your head. Um, it, that's a design thinking philosophy as well. Like, you know, if you are about to try something, write down all the things you think could go wrong, but then write down all the things you think could go well. And the more understanding and awareness you have about the things that could go wrong or about the barriers, the more you're able to prepare and kind of protect yourself or just be aware of those things so you can design accordingly. And so I always say like, you know, if we're just even thinking about teaching, trying a new lesson, you never want to redo your entire semester all in one go, right? You want to take one activity and try something new, see how well it worked, ask the students, did you enjoy it? That's the empathy piece. How did it make you feel? What was comfortable? What did you like? What did you not like? And then go back and adapt. And when you take those really small steps, maybe the fifth time you're trying that activity, it's going to go much, much, much better. Now, did everybody know that you were trying something new or that it didn't go exactly how you had it in your mind? Probably not because it's a small, safe space where you've taken it. Um, And then over time, you gradually make those changes and now you've got something where it's like, okay, this is what I wanted to do. This is where I wanted to come. But to try to do that on your first iteration, I think can be challenging. So taking those small steps, I think is important. And the second one I would say is the voice in your head. I feel like our own voice in our head is our worst enemies. Seth Godin calls it like your lizard brain, always telling you and reminding you about what you could go wrong. And I think you really, over time, the more you reflect, the better you become at talking down that voice. I think that's really, really good. In the frame of education, what do you think are some good qualities of of educators because I think now and or maybe even what are you seeing in terms of shifts in education right now especially over the last year like the last year obviously was crazy but how do you think um one maybe this last year went and like where do you see the projection of education going all right guess what's still on my radar what my love beam Beam dream. Because you got me sold on it and now I'm hooked and I can't. You're welcome. I, I can't sleep without it. Honestly, it's so good. We're hooked. We're hooked in this house. Yes. 100%. You guys, we're talking about Beam Dream. So Beam creates the highest quality functional supplements for better balance, energy, recovery, and sleep. I got Sam onto it. Now, she likes the capsules. Po- the capsules. I just, I don't like to drink stuff. Yeah, mm. totally here for that. The capsules work though. I prefer the powder, Beam Dream Powder. I do uh, one to about two scoops right before I go to bed, 30 minutes before I go to sleep with either some water or almond milk. I swear to God, you guys, 30 minutes in, I am ready to hit the pillow. This is the most wonderful, wonderful, wonderful thing. If you're on night shift, you're trying, you're having trouble getting to sleep, or if you're just someone like me who does struggle with sleep in general, or no, I had to take asleep. it before day shift because I have anxiety. Like I can't fall asleep when I know I have to wake up early. Mm-hmm. So that was like, I actually prefer it more for day shift. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, so we're big fans of this, you guys. We highly recommend. So if you guys want to check out Beam Dream for yourself, head over to beamtlc.com and use code SELFIE, C-E-L-L-F-I-E 15 for 15% off your order. Again, you guys, that's beamtlc.com, code SELFIE, C-E-L-L-F-I-E 15 for 15% off your order. We swear by it here. It is definitely SELFIE approved. Yo. Mm-hmm. What? Okay. I heard you just redid your resume. Yes, queen. Hot take. That just happened. All right. Tell me Tell me about it. Mm-hmm. So you guys know over here, selfie approved. We are talking about resume RX, you guys. I just used it myself for the second time, actually. Just redid my resume. This is fill in the Blake solutions for you guys for your resume and cover letter. It is so easy. All you do is purchase the resume template, download it, fill in all of your amazing information, was so easy for me to do. I did it in literally like a couple hours, got everything spruced up. And before I knew it, I was applying to some new jobs. We've actually gotten so many messages from people who listen to our one episode, Think Like an Athlete with our strategies to get hired and get a job and all of that, new grad tips. And then coupled with using Resume RX and nailing their interview, absolutely like it's, landing the interview. That's one of my favorite yeah. feedbacks, honestly. And we get that the most consistent. And I will say this too: this doesn't just apply to nurses. If you're an RT or if you're someone in healthcare, this is very easy to fill in the blank for anyone who's in the professional healthcare setting. And aesthetically, ooh, chef's kiss. Love it. It's just beautiful. And she has a bunch of different types that you can fill in. I think she has up to seven different um, templates that you can choose for your resume, which is great and lucky you guys you get 20% off if you guys head over to the link in our bio we have a lovely little um click what do I call that we have a sorry if you guys click the link in our bio for resume rx you are going to save 20% off of your resume and cover letter head over you guys to the link in the bio we have so many amazing things there for you love that for you love that for you yeah, so I'll, I'll start with your first question. I think what makes for like a great educator is somebody who can build great relationships. I think at the end of the day, like even when you listen to people, like especially today when we see how many people struggle with mindset, I think the greatest gift you can give any young person is being there as somebody who believes in their potential. I think that can go so far for somebody, maybe not on a standardized test or whatnot, but I think in their life and the chances they'll take and the things that they'll do. So I think relationships are just really, really, really core to everything. I think one of the most fascinating things I've seen that honestly I didn't expect is a renewed sense of enthusiasm and excitement from so many people. I think over the past year and a half, people saw themselves do things they themselves did not think they could do. And I think that has really opened the eyes of so many people about their own strengths, their own abilities, their own aptitudes, and what it is that they can create for others. I think if somebody had asked me, you know, even just at the at the beginning of summer, like in May or June, how do you feel about going back to work in September? I would probably have said really nervous. I don't think anybody's going to be excited for anything. People are going to be burnt out. Um, and it's been the complete opposite. So I think there's a lot of enthusiasm right now about what could be. There's obviously still a lot of struggles with everything going on, but that seed about things can be different, things must be different is definitely there, especially when we think about making learning more personal, giving kids more choice in how they demonstrate their learning to your point earlier, not just being, you know, everything standardized. I think people have really seen that when we give kids 
different mediums to express themselves and we give them choice. Um, Kids that previously may not have done well in certain scenarios do really well in these scenarios. And I think that's really opened the eyes of many, many people. I think so many adults realize that we're like terrible students when they were young weren't actually terrible students. They were just in poor learning environments or weren't given the opportunity to like thrive or be creative or whatever because we want to like put them in this box. I don't know what like elementary school was like for you, but for me it was so rigid yeah. and structured. Well, it's and interesting too because I have such mixed – Okay. I was always spaced out too. Did you go to private school too? Yeah, I went okay. to private school. We both life. went to private schools and I actually think that was a disservice in some ways to someone like me because it's like you're in this hyper-competitive state – like, these are the schools where you go to where the parents are like, it's not if you're going to college, it's when you're going to college or where you're going to which college, one? which <laughs> one. And it's very, very set up so specifically. And it's almost like for someone like me, I would I think I would have thrived so much better in a creative space or where I was able to harness other skills as well. And I get it, especially in the medical world, we need to have we, – we're going to have to do standardized testing. We're going to have to have some framework – but I think as a student, I actually would have thrived somewhere that would have cultivated more creativity. Like that's just my type of, and I think there's so many students out there like that. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think one way I think we like to say it is that it's not that you can't do it. It's that maybe you can't do it this way. And I think providing people the choice to do things and demonstrate the way in which they learn or the way in which they can demonstrate whatever it is that they've learned to you through a variety of ways is where things become really impactful because, again, it goes back to that mindset. So then it's like, okay, I can do this. I can learn this. I just have to do it this way so I can learn to do it this way. But you have to be able to master a skill and gain the confidence in a certain area. Otherwise, you shut down completely. And then you don't even master the skill at all. So I do want to be clear because I don't want think people to think that like, you know, we don't believe in standardized testing or we think that like life is possible, you know, without it. It's not that you have to necessarily eliminate standardized testing completely. It's about being able to find ways to demonstrate and master certain skills so that tomorrow when you do have to demonstrate them in different ways or you do have to do something in a specific way, you have the skill set to apply it to that scenario. And I think the other big advantage that people have have today is there are so many opportunities to complement a standardized test. So yes, you can take it. You may not do that well, but if you have a really great portfolio or you've done a really great community project or you have um, a network of people who know that you have certain skill sets, I do believe in those scenarios people are willing to overlook sometimes one bad score because you're bringing all these other things to the table. I think especially now universities in particular are looking for kids who are passionate who have ideas who are going to bring these different things to the table not just that cookie cutter student Mm -hmm. I think that's hard with nursing school because I mean obviously I do give standardized tests like I have to and I like them in a certain sense but I just wish that there was also another way that was like incorporated like honestly what I think is missing in nursing school is The actual just like we're so big on critical thinking, critical thinking, but we don't ever give them an opportunity to show their critical thinking skills because everything's select all that apply and whatever, like multiple choice, even some true false. But there's no actual like critical thinking. It's almost like can you just give the scenario and let them. Well, and we do simulation lab, which is great. Right. 
I love that they're doing like these and the simulation these days, those mannequins are absurd. They can give birth. They have like actual mannequins for OB that like birth a child and these mannequins can like talk. They have like seizures. They can become like it's the technology is awesome. But I still just as someone who I taught clinical in the hospital. Now I teach just theory and lecture. And it's like there's still even a disconnect between those two, which I wish they weren't separate classes. Yeah. Almost like I wish they were almost all in one. And I would love to just be able to and I think case studies are boring too like there's no perfect answer but I feel like the way in which we precept new grads where you're actually like giving them like okay this is really what's happening like walk me through what you would do and I feel like that's how you almost even do in um interviews and stuff but it's like not what we're actually doing in school like you're missing that real like to me the most education or the most benefits funny that you bring that up for a new person coming into the healthcare field is that step from that education into actual practice with, for example, our residencies mm-hmm. or preceptorship, because that's when you're getting real-time feedback, you're having real experiences, and that's so valuable. Like, and, and creating, and oftentimes, I think the most successful people come from those preceptors who are, allow a safe space. To talk it out. Yes. Like, and I'm always kind of like, all right, like, just talk it through me. Like, tell me where you're at, where you want to go with this, what are you thinking, like just mush pot, just like let it all out because I feel like sometimes if you don't have that like train of consciousness to be able to just like splurge your feelings Like even if it's wrong, out, just, yeah, just tell, tell me you're thinking. Yeah. Because I feel like also getting inside someone's thought process is huge too because everyone, like Tori and I think very differently. Yeah. Like we might come to the same oh, yeah. conclusion, <laughs> but the way we got there were two oh, different routes. <laughs> And so I think that's not addressed like in education at all, yeah. like that you can get to the same place, but you're going to take a very different way there. Absolutely. And that's critical thinking, yeah. right? Like that like, literally is the definition of critical And we're thinking. so into it. I definitely think COVID has been a game changer for education because it's made us completely reevaluate how we've done things forever since the beginning of education in this country. And all of a sudden it got cut off and it was like, okay, well, how do we do it now reinvent yeah yeah I and I think the one thing I wish there was more of is people sharing stories about what they're doing Mm -hmm. because they think there are so many people doing so many positive things you know making really great change making an impact in different ways but because we don't always get to hear those stories or see those stories everybody thinks that well things are really stagnant or things are staying the same and I think the more people share those stories the more we're going to be motivated by each other and empowered like oh it's not just me trying to think thinking this way it's this person's thinking it that person's thinking it and so I think that just like inspires more people but I'm really curious to hear from you given our conversation like how you navigated nursing school given that you said it was a challenge for you and just kind of some of the things that we're talking about okay so it's actually really funny because one of the things that you talk about a lot and I, I preach a lot here is passion trumps experience. And I think what I had to do was cultivate everything else that I was so good at exteriorly. So I was not a good my my scores, you know, I was I was B's, I would say. I was never gonna be the straight A's. But exteriorly, I was the person that had to I was volunteering at other places. I was in the community working with kids who were supposedly wanting to become get into nursing school so they could hear my story. I was, you know, working also. I had a lot of different extra things that I had to do 
to prove that this was the space I wanted to be in. And I talk about this a lot and I know you've you've brought it up several times, passion trumps experience. And I'm so big about that because, you know, you may not be the perfect person in the in the framework of whatever that may be, you know, you're not getting the straight A's, but you know you're meant to be there. And so you find ways. I was networking. I took time out of school to go shadow because I actually didn't even get a, uh, so a big thing in nursing is preceptorship your last semester. You know, you go in and you work with someone. I didn't land the preceptorship that I wanted. But I had a girlfriend who was on a unit that I wanted. So I networked with her. I connected with a nurse and I ended up doing a non-paid on my own time shadowing experience with the nurse in the PICU that I wanted to get hired in. And long story short, after a series of things, I ended up getting hired onto that unit um, purely because, I mean, I showed up, I met the manager, I was really engaged with everything. I couldn't take the job. And so it's because I failed the NCLEX. But it's funny because I had failure, 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 network, network, got the job. But it's so interesting to me because this is why I want to talk about this. I think just reinventing the way we think about things. Like I had lots of failures, but I also had a lot of wins. And I learned a lot about myself. And and I had to be someone that had to thrive in education, but I had to find my own way to thrive. And a lot of it was networking. A lot of it was I'm going to get up that extra two hours earlier before everybody else to get to, to go shadow, to do this so I can study later. You know, it was just this drive and passion. And that's why I love talking to you about this because I think that that's not, we don't tap into that enough to support it enough. I am so happy I asked that question because, okay, so what I love about what you shared is, you know, in school, what we're seeing is, right, and this is definitely changing. There's like one column only of what is success. Like you need to check these boxes to be successful. But we all know we have all these other boxes that exist that aren't in this column over here. And so we think having that self-awareness, this to me is the piece that once we bring into school, people will be successful, just like in your scenario, in being able to do those columns by figuring out, okay, but these are actually the things that I do well. How do I apply them here? Like what what is my workaround for that? But I think that's like, it's a huge degree of self-awareness and confidence because the biggest thing that can deter you is you just thinking you're awful. You're not good enough. That's the biggest deterrence. But if you realize it's not that I'm not good enough, it's that I have other boxes that I check that these people maybe don't. How do I leverage that to get into like X scenario? So yeah, that's awesome. Well, I also think for you, like a big aspect of nursing is like, if I don't know something, am I go- how am I going to figure it out? And you can't teach that in nursing school. Like some people, you're going through nursing school being like, I have to do X, Y, and Z to get what I want and other people are just like oh I just kind of rolled out of bed and took the test and passed and it's fine and then they get on the job and they like literally cannot utilize these they haven't built these skills to actually function in that role where you've built up this whole skill set that yeah it has nothing to do with passing a test but it actually got you to the okay my patient's crashing this is going on I need to call this doctor I need to utilize this resource I need to grab this person I need to think outside of the box and do that and that's so undervalued yeah I agree 100%. and it's not it's, there is no 
A, B, C, D, select all that apply that's going to get you there right. on a test. Yeah, yeah, I, I 100% agree. I think, yeah, I know. and do you see the swing in education starting to go or to embrace these ideas? Absolutely. Oh, I, I definitely do. Absolutely. I think, you know, it's employers are demanding it, companies are demanding it, the world is demanding it, right? And I think before COVID, what was really interesting when we used to have these conversations with leaders is you could tell for so many people it just, it, it didn't, like they believed it, but they never saw saw it they never experienced it the world is changing the world is more mobile the world is so connected like our problems are global we have to prepare people for these you know we used to talk about always like problems that we have no idea that are going to come that our kids are going to be faced with or jobs you know tomorrow that don't exist yet that we have to prepare them for and I think the one thing that we've all experienced over the past year and a half is just how quickly the world can change. And through that, we've seen the different skills that have been needed, the different types of, you know, environments we have to reconcile with, the types of problems and challenges we have to navigate, and the skills that that demands. And I think a lot, of, I think there's an awareness and there's a lot of people that are trying to implement it. It's just, again, getting that momentum, getting over some of the bureaucratic like barriers and things like that, but that I think we're definitely there's a lot of great people doing great work in that space so what do you think about just grades like letter grades because some schools are shifting away from a letter grade system and I think that's really interesting my school is I'm currently in grad school and we don't have grades it's it's based and it's interesting yeah I mean I I am curious your thoughts on that I mean it definitely makes sense in my opinion for grad school Mm -hmm. but even just like at the undergrad level because I feel like we carry so much weight on a GPA to use that to apply to grad school or apply to yeah, law school or whatever point. like that. Or in high school, we're using that to apply to college. But it is an interesting concept because right. there are places that are kind of starting to steer away from that. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the, the I guess the proper term that it's called is like we called it competency-based learning. And so I think that's what a lot of people are beginning to adopt are what are the core competencies that kids need to develop that we are looking to assess them on and then measuring their growth in those different areas. So some people may move forward in one competency at a faster pace. Some people may move at a bit of a slower pace, um, but move f- faster in other areas. And so by organizing it through competencies, it's okay, I'm, I'm not there yet. And so it's that growth that they're starting to see. There's actually a really great organization called Mastery Transcript. And they've basically redesigned the way a high school transcript works according to competencies. So that would be, I think, if there was one model that I would point people to, it would be Mastery Transcript. And they're doing a really good job of helping high schools in particular, I think, adapt and move um, along in this area but yeah I think and not only along the lines of competencies in terms of there's also in terms of grades it's always somebody else who's grading you I think another big shift we're seeing is having students self-assess themselves where do you think you are in this where do you still feel you have to grow but where do you feel like you're doing well and it's interesting because people will always say like kids are so hard on themselves they are yeah Yeah. the mental health aspects of So even with the GPA and letter grades are like killing some of these students. I do transport and we do a lot of like SI attempts and things like that from kids that are just putting so much like juniors, seniors, putting so much pressure and stress on their grades that they can't even handle it. And it's crazy because they're already like, you know, thinking my whole college career is riding on my GPA and it's 
wild. Absolutely. And I think, again, kids don't know what they don't know. Yeah. So again, like ever, a lot of what you shared around the networking and, you know, the community service, helping put those pieces together into a narrative or a portfolio or a way to showcase that online is something we do not teach people. Like it's really rare somebody teaches that to you. And so a lot of times people think that they're doing these things, but they're not valuable because I need to be doing the GPA. I need to be doing the things that, you know, the society has taught me are important. And so I think that's going to be another really big shift for us is how we help people think about what do you do well? What do you, what can you offer the world? But also how can you craft that together? whether it's through a LinkedIn profile, through social media, through a website, however you want to do it, being able to put together your story and put forward your story um, helps you, I think, meet people in ways that a traditional environment doesn't. It's so funny. Okay, I don't know why I put this all together right now. It is such a weird concept to me in education that we're putting grades on things like, for example, social science or history or math, right? Like you get a grade for that. It would make so much more sense to me to almost have grading in the forms of where are you at with critical thinking? Where are you at with creativity? Where are you at with application? Where are you at with that to me is more valuable than saying, oh, you got to be in math. Like, okay, but you got to be in math, right? But then where were you at with the problem solving? Where were you at with just because you didn't get to the final answer? Like, where were you at thinking through it? I just think that education as a whole, it's not so, it's not tapping into the important things and the application of, you know, when you go to work for a hospital, a Google, an Apple, when you go into a new startup company, when you go, it's just the valuable skills are not what we're rating. We're rating the subject. We're not rating the person. It just, it doesn't make sense to me. And I hope that we're going into a direction where you can say like, (laughs) this student really didn't give, you know, like you you can see a difference and students and and I know teachers, you being one, Sam, you know, the students that can whip through a test, but don't give a shit. Yeah, absolutely. And then you have the students that are struggling. I was a student. Right. (laughs) Honestly, I like never studied. There we go. I mean, but you're brilliant. So, you know, you're strong in one way and I was strong in one way and I was shitty in one way and you were shitty in one way. Like, it's just, it's just interesting though, but we're rating it only on one in one scale versus on the person. And I hope we're going in a direction where we can start this kind of conversation where maybe even a teacher hears us and is like, oh, I want to try and implement something that Saba suggested today so we can start helping students in a new way. You know, I think it's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think what a lot of people call it is they have started assessing the process, not just the final product. And that's usually what it is like, you know, okay, we're going to do this big project, um, but we're only going to look at, you know, the whatever it is you created at the very end. And so instead of doing that, I think we've seen a lot more people do um, like checkpoints. How are you doing along the way? Create your own checkpoints. That's actually one of my favorites that I see people implement is, okay, here's here's what I need you to know. And here's what I need you to be able to demonstrate to me. Like, this is what we're trying to get to. How you do that is up to you. You have a variety of different ways in which you can show me that this is what you have mastered. Okay, what's your project plan going to be? Like, what's your timeline going to be? And then assess yourself accordingly. That I think works really well because it teaches time management. It teaches project management. Um, There's so much responsibility.
responsibility in there and just self-awareness like wow like I did not get these things done in the time that I thought I could um, and here's how I'm going to adjust here's how I'm going to pivot and navigate and so there's so much that happens I think so much learning that happens when we focus in on the process of learning versus just okay what was your end product it's so good I love it and I think those are critical life skills that aren't being taught as well right time management and how to like reframe like stop this isn't working reroute problem solve none of that yeah network talk to someone phone a friend (laughs) um i'm really curious about so a big piece of you is you know you're also this entrepreneur moving into the podcast space and Let's talk about that because I think it's such an amazing, how did you start your podcast and where did this all begin? So a really big driving force for me going back to school was I felt like I was somebody on the other side of education, always talking about what learning should be like for kids. And I just became really curious, or not even just kids, like students in general. And I became really curious to know what it would be like to actually practice a lot of these concepts so one of my biggest grudges from um, graduate school back in 2007 was I don't know if you've ever read thank you for being late by Thomas Friedman but chapter two of his book is called what the hell happened in 2007 and I feel like that's the question I asked for like the first five years of my career like what the hell was 2007 and what he talks about basically is he says 2007 is the year that all of these emerging technologies came to fruition it was the year Facebook and Twitter kind of became mainstream Airbnb launched like the iPhone was really there's just so many things that happened all together in 2007 that he calls it this inflection point and I remember I always think back like how did none of my professors think to have conversations with us around those emerging technologies and what that would mean for us as educators and so I never really had a chance to experiment and explore with different technologies when I was in school back then but I did over the course of my career and obviously that's a lot of what I talk about in my work as well and so going back to school I wanted to practice what I was preaching essentially and so the podcast actually was probably the the one medium I chose right that's what we've talked about so much there's different ways to demonstrate your learning yes I had to do the writing yes I had to do all the standard things but while the podcast wasn't a project assigned to me to me it was like why am I just citing somebody and reading their paper when I can go on Twitter and talk to them or I can get on a zoom call and interview them and go deeper like that to me was just mind-blowing and we talk about that like we can connect with anyone anywhere anytime and that was kind of like an opportunity to do it and I think one of my big full circle moments was the person who inspired the research was Eric Brynjolfsson. He's an economist and a professor. He used to be at MIT. He's now at Stanford. And I heard him on YouTube. It was a talk at Davos, the World Economic Forum. And he said this line that just really resonated. He said, technology is not destiny. We shape our destiny. It's not about being fearful of AI or these emerging technologies. It's what do you want your life to look like? Like what what are our values going to be and how is it going to drive the way in which we're taking advantage of technology? And so I actually got to interview him on the podcast. So like here's this person who's like book you read that you just heard on YouTube, but you could connect with online and interview and go deeper into those conversations with. He was such a wonderful mentor. And so that's really the podcast. There are way more people that are going to listen to the podcast than are going to read my 180-page dissertation. 
can't get out of those standard requirements, right? It's like what we're talking about. It's not about denying or turning away from the standardized things that are expected of us. It's looking at, well, what am I passionate about? Where are my strengths? And how? what do I want to do with my work to make it meaningful? So that's yeah. where the podcast came from. I'm obsessed. That's what Sam and I exactly. That's. I think we've had some guests on here that I don't think we ever dreamed we would like have a connection with or share their story and I couldn't agree more I mean for for someone like me reading through a dissertation that would never happen but I would I would absolutely listen to the podcast I would consume it on Instagram I would consume it you know there's just so many different ways to be sharing all of these stories and that's something that I think that I love that you talk about is the importance of sharing stories and that's where Sam and I we we love to do that. That's like what we do now. Well, that's why we love having so many different guests from even different areas outside of healthcare because it always there's always something from someone that you can apply to your own life, even Absolutely. if they're coming from a completely different field or world or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. absolutely. I mean, I don't I haven't yet gotten into I don't think like I interview educators per se I am interviewing a lot of people who have ideas that we could really benefit from from an education that we don't always um, listen to but to go back to some of the ideas we were sharing earlier to hopefully make some connections for the audience I don't know about you guys but it doesn't matter who I've interviewed before like even Eric Brynjolfsson like I don't even know what would top that interview every single time I'm about to email somebody I'm like oh but what if they say no Oh, but what if they don't want to come? Oh, but what if this? Oh, so that fear and that's the risk that's the risk you take, right? Like, okay, yeah, they might say no, right? Or like the worst they could do is ignore us. Yeah, not like let's just start sending out like I don't care how big you are like I'm gonna we're gonna pitch it to you anyways and if you come on I mean great. even with you it's funny because we were talking about this I listened to you on Brittany Crystal's um interview or on her show Beyond Influential and I heard your episode and you know Brittany's like a big she's big in the podcast world she's worked for like Gary V like she's huge and I just remember thinking like I want to get this guest on but I was nervous to reach out to you even, but I was like, you know what? I, we need to get you on. And you just never know. You never know. And it's so funny how like even that trickle down effect of like, I heard that and I'm like, I want to bring this to our audience because our audience needs to hear about this and they need to learn how to even, you know, tap into this idea of like creativity and how to think and like tap into education in a different way and like get that mindset, like change the mindset a little bit and how to you know embrace the things that we're good at in a different way in our own education I don't know I just think it's crazy no it's so true so I just think it's so important for, I always like to reinforce this like we're all scared we all are taking risks but the upside of even just that one person saying yes trumps any other failure you could have so true absolutely um this was absolutely amazing today um Speaking to our audience, do you have any pieces of advice for them or something that they can take away from the podcast today? Ooh, something to take away. I would say one of the first things might be to identify that one area that has been keeping you up at night. The one idea you've maybe had, the one thing you wanted to try, the person you might have wanted to email for your podcast, the job you might have wanted to apply to, the the network you might want to try building online, 
and really ask yourself, just put up a piece of paper, get out a pen, post-it notes, whatever, and put up, if I tried this, what's the worst that could happen? What's the best that could happen? And think about what one small step you could take in the direction towards your goal. I think there's a lot to be said for writing your goals outside of your head, taking ideas outside of your head and putting them onto paper. And then my second one would be a really a book that really impacted the way I thought about a lot of things during just this time was a book called Life is in the Transitions by Bruce Feiler. And I don't think he meant it to come out at the time that he did, but I couldn't have imagined a more perfect time. But he does such a great job of really breaking down how life is the story that you tell yourself. But he says how you rewrite that story, how you adapt that story is much more important than the story itself. And it's really empowering, I think, to know that despite whatever story it is that's in your head about what you think you can or cannot do, you do have the ability to rewrite it by reshaping and reframing your mindset. So that book was, it's one that I really like to recommend because just within the first few pages, you realize like, wow, yes, I can write my own story. And there's people, you know, we have mentors today through podcasts and through so many different things that we can learn so much about strategy and whatnot. And you can learn strategy all day long. It's, it's getting the mindset. And the only way you build that mindset is by taking the smallest, smallest step. So that would be take one small step. I love I that. I love that yeah. so much. Like bite-sized little small steps. I think there's a lot, like you said, though, taking it outside of your head. Yeah. Because I was always like, oh, everything's just living up here. But I feel like when you start actually like putting it really out there, it's like not real until you take it outside yeah. of your head. Yeah, for sure. I love that as a good piece of advice for everyone. Um, Do you have any good resources, podcasts, Netflix that you want to share with the audience that gave you some value that you, I know the book that you just mentioned. The book is one, you know, the second one I'd say, I start every single Monday with the Hello Monday podcast uh, with Jesse Hempel from LinkedIn. I just love the questions that it sparks as I listen. I think as anybody who's trying to navigate whether, and a lot of times her, so her whole podcast, the Hello Monday podcast is about the changing world of work and how that work is changing us. So there is definitely a big workplace theme, but every single time I listen, I always look like, wow, these are parallels to like education. You can tweak the question, but every, it's just such a great way to start my Monday. It's my one favorite thing I do. So yeah, Hello Monday podcast. Love that. that okay, we'll have to definitely. And we'll Tomorrow's link Monday. Tomorrow. There we go. <laughs> okay. I have to drive here again tomorrow. Perfect. So, so we'll have a, something to do. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. So you. for coming Seriously. on today. Today you just offered so many amazing tips for everybody. Well, I know this like spoke to someone. Like someone's listening to this and they're just like, man, I yeah. feel like I'm being like, you're directly talking yeah, to me. Yeah, you're in my soul. <laughs> yeah. And also, by the way, you've like this, the most wonderful voice. I know. It's very soothing. It's such a soothing voice. I was listening to you and I'm like, it's almost hard to interview you because you're so like, you you have this energy that just, I'm like sucked in right now. It's so good. Very like calming, captivating presence. Yeah. (laughs) That is so sweet. You know, you two just reminded me of one more resource um, and that's the Clifton Strengths. I love the Clifton Strengths assessment because sometimes you might not know, like Derek Silver says it, right? Like what's obvious to you is not obvious to others. So a lot of times you have these strengths that you think are just so normal, like they're not even special. And I love the Clifton Strengths. It gives you your top 34 strengths, but it nails into your top five. Ooh, 
and then it writes Is it down. like an aptitude test? Yeah, exactly. Okay. And it's like one of the most like reputable like industry-wide so it's like a great thing to put on your resume too oh, like these are my top that. five strengths but I love things that give you language about what you're good at yes because it helps at least build the beginnings of a narrative to counter whatever anti things it is you might be saying to yourself like I'm not good at this I'm not good at that and it shows you these are the things you do really well here's how you can leverage them here's also blind spots this is how this strength could also be your weakness so that would be one more like if you're looking for something really tangible here's my strength I just need something to reinforce and like help my ego out a little bit right now. That's a really great oh one. Oh my God, I'm obsessed with that. We I should do, do that, it. Yeah. You and I both. I think it's funny because we've been talking about doing like um, relationships slash um, not aptitude tests, but like even our horoscopes together <laughs> and just to see like where our strengths are and where we... Or how we can work better together. Yes. Or like acknowledge where we don't work well together yeah. so acknowledge those like weaknesses as well we will do that fine i'm i'm all about aptitude tests i think aptitude or that kind of format of like finding i'm all your about strengths. becoming like more self-aware yes i feel like it's helped me grow a ton <laughs> <laughs> both of us yes oh thank you so thank much thank you for coming so out much. it was so Sana. great to be here in person too yeah, oh, so much yeah, fun wonderful thank you so much and um where can everyone find you pimp yourself out where can every all of the platforms where can everyone find you i feel like the website is a great home base for whatever it is you're interested in learning more about um askmissq.com and then from there you can be like i like instagram or i like the podcast and you get your choice where you okay. want to go your podcast is wonderful i've listened so many wonderful thank episodes you. so yeah and i just think the everything everything you're doing is so fabulous so thank you so much for coming in and sharing your amazing wealth of knowledge with us today thank you ladies. thank you yeah, thanks i love her She's just so. I can't wait for happy hour. Oh yeah, stay tuned on our IG stories. We're gonna catch some drinks with our girl, Mm -hmm. and hopefully with um how I got connected with her with Brittany too. It should be fun. This is definitely an episode I feel like you could share with anyone in your family, your friends, anyone who you think just really needs to like you know change up the mindset a little bit and kind of get inspired. And we would love to hear your feedback. So if you like this episode, please leave us a review. Tell us what you liked. Hit that five star, download, subscribe. And if you leave a review and you leave your IG handle in it, we will be sending you out some free swag, mm-hmm. some stickers, some pins, all the goodies. Yeah. And make sure you guys are following us on our Insta. That's at C-E-L-L-F-I-E underscore podcast. You can find all of the goodies linked there in our bio. All of our amazing sponsors are links to all of our resources for you guys, including resumes, our interview tips and tricks, which is a big one, which we talk about a lot. Our merch, of course. So make sure you guys check out the link in the bio. And then come to Bali with us. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, we're down to like the last uh, few spots, but it's oh, oh, it's coming. It's so coming. We're actually started looking at flights now and everything. <sighs> so it's like it's real. Can April you believe we're almost at the end of 2021? Yeah. We're almost at the end of it. Stop. Stop it. You're it's so happening. gross. Make I know. Stop. I know. So if you don't have your vacation plans for 2022 ironed out yet, you should join us in Bali. Yes, you should. Come with us, you guys. We're so excited. This is going to honestly be a trip of a lifetime for all of us. We're, we're just, we can't wait for this vacation enough. And make sure you guys are following us on our Instas. That's at Nurse Tori. And at Hey Samantha with two A's. And stay tuned for... A very useful bonus episode. Yeah, this is going to be a, a good one and one that Sam and I have been, we've been having a good time making these. Yes, we love them. Together, so we appreciate so. you supporting those as well. So we'll see you on Bonus Friday. Bye. Bye. Bye.